there's a methodology, I don't know if I shared with you, but how we build projects, we call the momentum method. And it's a methodology we created over time to, to do great projects. And so the interesting thing about it, what it allows you to do is it starts the very first step in our momentum method is vision, clear, compelling vision. And it's a must. And then number two is strategy, thoughtful, collaborative, written plan, this clearly defined outcomes, then team and roles. Because in the early days, we didn't even know who was on the right team. And you can't build a great dream without the right team. It's a must. I mean, imagine a football team without a running back or a receiver. And that's what happened on our team. Once you get a team, you got to get them in alignment because if you got a car out of alignment, you can drive it, but it eats the tires up. Yeah. Then we start executing, which is clear activities and daily disciplines. But our goal at the end is not just success, but succession. We yeah. want it to live beyond us. So, we call this, we say having momentum makes you look better than you are and no momentum makes you look worse than you are. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 53 of the Placemaking Podcast. I am extremely excited to share this next conversation with all of you here. Now, today on the show, I have John Marsh. John is the co-founder of Marsh Collective and host of the Redemptification Podcast. He's a serial entrepreneur and consultant helping steward over $1 billion in redemptive real estate in nine small towns around America. With a love for building things that are beautiful and meaningful. Now over the last 25 years, John and his wife Ashley have guided over 40 startup businesses in various industries such as construction, real estate investing, advertising, and also multiple restaurants. John and his wife have renovated over 220 buildings within 10 blocks of downtown Opelika to help save their city. Today, John's focus is on helping others make generational differences in their communities and companies by helping patrons bridge the gap between redeeming vision and execution. Now, Marsh Collective is a collective of entrepreneurs who empower businesses and leaders to make an impact in their companies and communities. They help others to reach their goals through redemptive vision consulting. They believe in creating emotional architecture where stories are considered before structures, where people are truly aligned with profits. They provide consultation services for clients from small towns mid-sized towns all over the United States. Now in this episode, we take a look at the importance of establishing a sandbox in which you own in your own town. Understanding that people love things that are loved. And the importance of establishing a vision for you and your developments going forward. There's loads of great information in this episode and I greatly appreciate John for taking time out of his extremely busy schedule to discuss this topic of redemptification in real estate with me. Now, as always, if you've enjoyed the show, I'd ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry. 
promise there will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. What an adventure. <laughs> I'm honored to have you on the show. And it's funny, uh, you've also are on a podcast and several of your guests have been my guests as well. So it felt fitting that I should finally have you on the show. So this is perfect. Well, thank you. I tell you, we, I, it's neat to meet great folks isn't it? and uh, have them share with you. The greatest thing about a podcast is you get a chance to talk to such amazing people and learn from them. And then you get to share that with other people as well. So it's it's been our podcast has been a blessing to me. I love it. Yeah, definitely. Same. And for the same reasons. So, you know, I want to just really dive in here real quick and just get a little bit about you, John, and how you sure. started this whole, uh, essentially a movement <laughs> in small <laughs> towns and mid-sized towns. And, and then we'll just kind of take it from there. Great. Yeah, me and my wife, we um in a little town called Opelika, I think Hopelika, Alabama, <laughs> O-P-E-L-I-K-A. So we're, it's a little town of about 30,000. Well, uh, maybe 25 years ago, my wife, she's from here and she was walking through our town and she just said, I'm not all right with this. This is not the way it should be. And, you know, if you keep asking, so that the, you keep saying, oh, somebody needs to do something, you may be the somebody. Right. And so we were the somebody and we began to First, just a, a his, we started with just one little house in a mill village. We have a historic mill here. We renovated one little house that we got owner finance, no money down. We didn't have anything but $3,300 to put into it. We thought that was a good idea. Yeah. And we polished it up. Like we say sometimes in the beginning, we're turd polishers. We just polished right. it up a little. Put a little and paint it was junk, on there. Right. Junkie when we started, junkie when we finished. But we sold it May 15 grand. And we just kept rolling that over. And um, we've done over 265 structures now in 10 blocks and started over 40 businesses to save our little town. And uh, it's been an incredible journey to learn to be an incremental developer, to start with something as simple as a single family house and work to duplexes, triplexes, quads, then get the mixed use, some light industrial and now multifamily. So it's been a 25 year journey that looked like a detour. Right. <laughs> and it's been it's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot. We never took any outside capital, which was kind of unique. Ash and mm. I grew up poor and we just put our butts on the line and borrow a little bit, do a little bit, borrow a little bit, do a little bit. So we personally guaranteed and bank financed our way all the way through this thing to now. Uh, we still own over 100 properties in our downtown and steward that. And we're still working in Opal. Like our, or the project we're on now is the largest project we've ever done in our city um, and will be more expensive and more impactful than everything we've done combined. Wow. So we're really excited about this. It's taken us almost 14 years to collect the property over 14 acres in the center of our downtown. So if you want to see something cool, if, if something we say uh, really adds value to you, please come and see. We always tell people um, we aren't as dumb as we look and we're not as smart as we look. Just come see. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, t- can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of the town and, sure. and then why kind of you felt like it, it really needed to change or uh, your your wife decided this was this was it what what were some of the signs that she was seeing that was troubling so when when um, a history of our town we're a railroad town and really I mean 
we were blessed to have a railroad come right through the middle of town and we cotton was king here. Um, and that's what drove our town. It was a cotton town really. And, um, and so the railroad come through the middle of town where most people building all look at a river or a park, we look at a railroad track. So we're celebrating it. It is our river. Right. And we still have 14 trains a day come through the middle of our downtown and they're booking it. Yeah, it's so it's a unique kind of thing. Um, it's really a, a great place. We've got um, great natural resources. We have um, a lot of factories move here um, because of the workforces here. A lot of people, the gifted, skilled workers. And um, what happened is really it got so dilapidated. You know, what happens is they would move outside of town and do these developments and start these uh you know, these retail shopping centers and the downtown just kept falling away and dying. And by the time we got to looking at it, it had been urban renewed and lost about 46 of its major buildings. And when we bought some buildings downtown right after um, two elderly ladies was executed in a gang style shooting. And so it was just broken. And my wife and I have have realized over time that there's beauty in broken things. And that you can resurrect places and redeem cities if if you do it with the right system. Now, we didn't have a system in the beginning. All we were doing is opportunity, opportunity. And then we began to think of our downtown as a complex mixed-use development. And once we did that and we drew lines in the sand and said, we love 10 square blocks, we're not going out of this. And so all of our property is in 10 square blocks. And all of our attention is in those 10 square blocks. And so we're not everywhere, but we're everywhere somewhere. And, right. and we love those. And that really has given us an advantage to be very efficient and built us a real estate portfolio, which we call now our real estate portfolios and the type we build around America, irreplaceable real estate. So people started coming to us from all over the country. And now Ash and I, with our team, steward about $1.4 billion worth of redemptive real estate in seven cities. Wow. And that all came out of us just loving our town for 25 years. And people started coming to us and going, can you do this anywhere else? I said, I don't know. I had never done it. I've only done it here. Yeah. So I didn't know if it would work, but now the smallest town we're working in is 800 people and the largest is 180,000. And so it's a pretty unique thing. So it's just everything you're going through has importance of where you're going to. There's no time wasted. Gotcha. Wow. I I love what you said here about you, you kind of created this, this sandbox, you said, essentially, hmm. you're, you're 10 square blocks, and you were focused on that area. And, uh, you know, I've talked to several others that uh, one mentioned it called their farm, you know, this is their farm, they they cultivate the crops within the farm, i.e. the, the structures, the buildings, uh, you know, everything within that farm. Um, and so I, I, I've I think it's kind of interesting when I hear that being brought up again and again and again, because a lot of times people are a little all over the place, you know, um, and lack the focus. But, you know, from your experience, having that focus was gave you a little more, a little more freedom, a little more flexibility to do more in that space. And uh, and everything we do raises the value of our portfolio. Um, right. it, it's easier to care for it. You can know everyone with it. You can know your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And one thing about it we say is really a sophisticated real estate development with love. And love is a power ingredient that, that really changes everything. Anything that's love look different. 
I mean, if somebody loves their car, it looks different. If they love their yard, it looks different. If they love their spouse, it looks different. Love makes stuff look different. And when you love a place, that word's topophilia, love of place. And, and it happens over time. We didn't fall in love immediately. We're just dating. And then all of a sudden we're in love and we get married. And now we love this place. In fact, we've committed the rest of our lives to this place, mm-hmm. to one, one little patch of ground to care for it and to treat it kindly. And our questions always we ask ourselves when we make a decision here, we've got what we call vision frameworks that we make a vision filter for what we do. Does a project fit us? And one of the key characteristics is that can, will it make a difference in our city for its good and human flourishing that'll last 50 years and no one be able to undo it? If we can do that, it's a powerful thing. And so we try to focus and the, one thing about what we do, it builds momentum. Our portfolio's value is much greater because of the adjacencies we've created. Oh, yeah. If you look at Disney World, Disney World's great programming in a swamp. I mean, it, it isn't the buildings are so valuable, it's the programming. And so with us, we're able to program restaurants, retail stores, now boutique hotel we're working on, other event space, all this in this small little area. And I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think Warren Buffett can compete in Op- downtown Opelika, Alabama. He can come here and waste his money, but he can't do better deals than me. Because this <laughs> right. is the place that I've invested my life. And I've done things over time. If you've got a 50 or 75-year vision, you can do stuff people with a five-year vision can't dream of. Right. And so that's kind of the way we look at it. And most everyone we're working with has this idea of being a catalytic developer. They know that they can make a difference. We don't have to do every building, but we do want to help people understand. You know, there's three questions we always ask to get a place going. Who are you? Who do you serve? And who's going to pay for it? And if you don't know who you are and you don't know who you serve, you're certainly not going to get anybody to pay for it. And most people think they lack money and they really lack vision, clarity of vision. Because if you have clarity of vision, you accelerate towards your goal. For example, you're driving home and, you know, it's foggy. You bump the brakes and slow down a little bit. You know the road. Mm-hmm. So we have to get clear on that. And so Opelika didn't know who it was. And so it's trying to be somebody else. I'd be a horrible Matt. I mean, I'd have <laughs> no trouble being a John. Yeah. <laughs> right? I get it. I get it. No, that's that's awesome. And so you caught, you understood what what was missing and, you know, you were able to focus in that one area. And like I said, you had that long-term vision that, that gave you, um, it gave you a, a direction that, you know, somebody in it for five to 10 years can't, right. Can't compete with. And the uh, story matters. I mean, when you mm-hmm. can tell a story, like here's where we're going, people, do you want to go on this journey with me? Because we don't really lack willpower, we lack why power. If the why is big enough, the will gets easy. And so for us, we decided we were going to save this entire 10 blocks. Now, our goal is not to displace poor or elderly. We don't think gentrification is, is a sustainable model. We call it the work we do, same name as of our podcast, is redemptification. So I think gentrification redeemed. So we think there's that we can help redeem people and places to their intended beauty or glory. So what we do with our city is we say, what would it have looked like if it never stopped growing? Like, what would it look like? What would love do to this place? 
And now we have to make the money work. Everybody, this car runs on cash. So we can talk about the money things because that's a big piece of this thing, but it's not everything. Right. We think uh, 40% of real estate value sometimes can be hooked to um, the emotion of it. I mean, if you're going to buy Madison Square Gardens, you're going to buy the Empire State Building or Disney, you're going to pay a premium. Mm-hmm. I'm talking it's more than just a cap rate. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. And the best street on your house, whoever moved the, the per square footage cost probably had a little more love going on over there than you do. <laughs> I mean, when I, we build stuff for love's sake, people pay more. I tell them, I said, I don't follow comps. I set comps. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, and it's true. You know, if if um, you put a little love in some of these structures, I mean, just you know, when you add all those things together, you are creating a premium. Like you talk about the story. It's not just about the, where you're going, like you're saying, but it's also the past. You're trying to preserve the past, tell the story of the future. People can see that people relate to that. And stories move stuff. I mean, if I just tell you, Hey, I've got this old chair. It's an old chair. If I say, Hey, I got the chair Abe Lincoln set in at the Gettysburg address. It's a little different chair. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And the story made it different. And so what we realize is if we're going to be visionaries in our city and have a vision, we have to have the story. We, We say we start with stories, not structures. We call the word emotional architecture. And so when we look at a project, whether it's a building or even something we're building new, we keep asking ourselves, what's the story? What's the box top look like if it was a puzzle? If it was a magazine, what would be the top of the magazine? And so we try to make sure, and we start usually with storyboards. So if you look at our projects, they'll, they'll start usually with a story and a theme. And uh, imagine it may be something like, what would it be like to be on? What is the thing you love about going to vacation at the beach? Okay, we want this restaurant we're going to create to be that, or this retail business, or this bar, or whatever. So it, it's really important, and people can tell the story if they can't tell you the story. You know, as they go through, you sprinkle little surprises and magic throughout your projects so that people go they cared about that they (laughs) fold the conduit and the light switches are like one project we did a while back we used knob and tube the old ceramic knob and used new wire in it Mm -hmm. and i just love it i got it inspected not long ago and the guy's like i think you got some knob and tube in there (laughs) man this dude don't even realize we did it well it made me so happy i was like he just complimented us it it looks aged perfect but yeah that's awesome you guys i said you you sent me some of your before and after photos and uh i fell in love with several of them it's just because you didn't try to it was more like you were saying the redemptification you didn't try to completely change what it was you just Cleaned it up, you know, showed it. And asked if it continued to grow. And so I'll give you an example how the 50 year mindset. We just did about 10 or 15 houses in this one, the one of the worst neighborhoods in our city. Um, It made a huge difference. And we just Mm. and we actually made them affordable. The most reasonable one fully renovated, which you saw a picture of the little mid-century concrete house. We sold it for eighty nine thousand dollars renovated. And so why can't beautiful and affordable go together? I mean, Mm. they don't have to be exclusive. 
But what we do is we go in and we say this, if we want this thing to last 50 years, what do we do? So that may mean we put a metal roof on it or a great roof. We may need to work on the foundation, jack it up and fix some of that. We may fix the floors, but we may not put a new kitchen or bath in right now because we know at some point somebody can do that. Mm-hmm. But if we get wiring in there, we get plumbing in there, we get a good structure, it'll last. And so we kind of go about it a little differently. I mean, when you think that way, you think differently. Now, a lot of people say, well, I wanted the granite countertops. I'd much rather have that than than a nice electrical system or HVAC. Well, fine. There's plenty of stuff to buy out there. Yeah. I mean, you can buy new stuff or you can buy another person's stuff. But if you like, if, if your mindset lines up with us, you'll love what we build. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, there's there's several in there. You had a good mix of commercial and residential. And, and um, I'm just curious, have you seen, has there been a noticeable investment outside of your sandbox? from the surrounding communities? Even in our downtown, our sandbox, I mean, we've had probably seven or 8 million bucks put in there over the last couple of years that wasn't ours. Mm-hmm. So we don't, we're not worried about our city making it now, the momentum's there. And there's a methodology, I don't know if I shared with you, but how we build projects, we call the momentum method. Mm-hmm. And it's a methodology we created over time to, to do great projects. And so the interesting thing about it, what it allows you to do is it starts the very first step in our momentum method is vision, clear, compelling vision. And it's a must. And then number two is strategy, thoughtful, collaborative, written plan, this clearly defined outcomes, then team and roles. Because in the early days, we didn't even know who was on the right team. And you can't build a great dream without the right team. It's a must. I mean, imagine a football team without a running back or a receiver. And that's what happened on our team. Once you get a team, you got to get them in alignment because if you got a car out of alignment, you can drive it, but it eats the tires up. Yeah. Then we start executing, which is clear activities and daily disciplines. But our goal at the end is not just success, but succession. We Mm -hmm. want it to live beyond us. So we call this, we say having momentum makes you look better than you are and no momentum makes you look worse than you are. And so we build momentum in our cities and it works. I mean, again, we're doing it all around America and um, it's amazing to see what's happening in this space. Right. Right. And, you know, there's, there's been a push to uh, kind of come back to the city, right? Have you seen that kind of push help things out for what you guys are doing or you think that momentum you were you were already building was was doing what it needed to do to kind of well, we did it. it before the push. There yeah. were 25 years, you know. So it's easy. Yeah. People want to be in places that are loved and cared for. I mean, you never went to a city and said, John went this amazing city. You're not gonna believe it. had the best experience of my life, had this great meal. Oh, you gotta go there. I said, Where was it? Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> Nobody says that. Because their goal is to disappoint you at a rate you'll stand. And and nobody travels for ordinary. They travel for extraordinary. And and we can get people most. We've got one restaurant that we help with in a little town of 3,500. Sees 8,800 people a month. And at least 50% of the people are up to an hour away. So people will travel for excellence and care. They will not travel for ordinary. 
And so our goal is to build iconic things because iconic things get people moving. I can go to the worst neighborhood in your city and build an iconic barbecue place. You're going there probably. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we use our number one, our first step is food and beverage. We don't have a plan that works without food and beverage. And um, it's just because it's so much meaningful happens at the table. You sure. decide who to marry, where to bury, what you're mm-hmm. going to do. And so it's a place of fellowship and breaking bread. And it's also catalytic. One great restaurant in a, in, a, in a development or a town can can fill the rest of the whole thing up. True. True. Well, we mentioned, you know, we, we mentioned a little bit of the high level of how you kind of start work in maybe a new town mm-hmm. uh, with some of your clients. But what is it when it gets down to more of the nitty gritty? What is that? process look like when you're um when so you're, some of the top things yeah. we get a vision if right. you don't have a clear vision we work hard on the vision and get vision filters so like i mean one of our vision filters is is it in the 10 square blocks and does it add value to our entire portfolio number two can we play at the intersection of purpose and profits number three is it unwanted unloved and, and uncared for. We only buy junky stuff, very <laughs> junky stuff. Got to have lots of problems. We don't buy stuff that's nice or good or anybody else can buy. Everybody else can do that stuff. We do super junky stuff with problems. <laughs> it's how we're wired. It's We can add, can we add tremendous value to it and not extract value? So we get them a vision and some filters so they know what a good deal looks like. And mm-hmm. then we surround a certain area normally and call them the barriers of goodness and say, draw lines in the sand, tell us where you're going to focus. Yeah. And then we we try to phase it in, in in creating momentum and some catalytic things. So normally we'll we'll do an assessment of all the buildings that are there and we'll get a chance to plan every building usually. Wow. Even if it's not our if the, the folks that we have don't own the building, we'll put our lens on what it should be because a lot of times we're able to call up oh, yeah. people in this thing. So like we have a great building we don't own, but we go to the owner and say, listen, we think this would be the best you know, Korean catfish fusion restaurant in the whole region. He's like, I don't care. I'll rent it. So we go, okay, we start calling it that. If you start calling stuff, something and stuff will start happening. Sure. Then you got a Korean guy going, I love the catfish. (laughs) It's like, okay, great. We're headed the right way. There you go. We just, we start, we we put intention into the space and place and, and, and try to phase it. And we know that you have to have a little success to get more success. And, um, Mm -hmm. and for us, like I said, normally, I can't think of a situation that doesn't have in the first phase or some food and beverage. Even if it's a coffee shop, it's easy to create a coffee shop. We've made a lot of those and made them very successful. There's one in our town that called Sidetrack that's amazing. We started with a kid and a little table and a portable sink. And now it's a booming business with 20% higher than any ticket average we've ever seen in a coffee shop. Wow. And it's fully, fully generosity based. There's no prices at all. He said, pay whatever you want. If you want to pay nothing, I'll treat you like you paid a thousand dollars anyway. Wow. <laughs> it's That's an unique. incredible place. Very unique. And yeah. everybody comes in and says, How much do I pay? He said, Whatever you want. No, 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 really. What do I pay? It's like, whatever you want. Well, I, I don't know what to pay. Well, then just pay whatever you want. <laughs> it's just it's so it, hard it's for crazy. people to collect. Right. Yeah. It breaks their guessing machine. They're like, yeah. uh, What? Can you say <laughs> that again? It's like, No, no. Pay whatever you want. Right. 
<laughs> and so, so it's just thinking differently about this. And, um, you know, our specific skill set is in, it, it is in existing spaces. We're involved mm. with some new construction, mainly it's infill between the, the buildings on blank lots and things, but, but we love renovation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, and, and for my wife and I, we've run a construction company for 20 years that we started with like $1,700 and, um, and almost crashed in 2008, man, when the defecation hit the ventilation, we were, <laughs> I mean, we barely pulled it up. You could see the, like the blades of grass. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but it, uh, what we did, we did fixed pricing and guaranteed timeframes in historic renovation for almost 20 something years. Wow. The benefit of that, and I didn't know any better when we started that, or I never would have done that. <laughs> but what it what it taught me is how to budget correctly. Oh yeah, because if not, no we waste. would have been out of business, right? <laughs> well, in unique ideas, like a lot of times when we come into a historic house, if the plaster stood, for example, we'll repair all the plaster, go out and pull the siding off, wire it, plumb it, and insulate it from the outside. Flip the siding over where it's never been primed nail it back up, paint it, go. And so it saved us all that time to demo the plaster and laugh and all the trim and these things. So we've got all kinds of cool tricks we've done over the years to learn how just to be efficient. Um, And really it's was interesting. We don't have a lot of construction guys in our construction company. (laughs) Most everyone came from another trade. In fact, I only have one guy that has previous construction experience. Most of them are from the automobile industry or maybe they're from you know, car stereo or this or that. They understood materials and knew how to do right. it, but, but they didn't have this mindset that old is hard and new is easy mm. because it's hard to unscramble those eggs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Once somebody believes, I mean, it's the same thing. I was in the automobile business for 12 years, had a salvage yard and built totals and stuff like that. And um, we couldn't get people to work on old cars that were used to working on new cars. <laughs> I mean, right is quite different. Right. What are points? What's a carburetor? Yeah. And the other guy's like, where'd all these wires go? <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's just right. two different mindsets. So I can encourage people, if you're going to build something, you got to pick the right tool. So many people get historic renovation or trying to do renovation and go get a, a really good new um, contractor or guys that are good at new construction. And I believe that's a, that's a mistake. What we do tech. Tactically, tactically, is go to the cities right around Opelika, say 25 minutes out, and find the best little good handyman or decent HVAC guy and bring them into our town, which is an upgrade, pay them a little more and let them have a chance to do a nicer project than they've done. And usually that's how we get good trades. That's pretty smart. It works. Clever. Well, it has to be, dude. Yeah. You're out of business, right? <laughs> I mean, this thing runs on cash. You've got to do it right. You, we're always, you can, in the beginning, we were 30 days from going out of business because that's when the next bills were due. You had to, you had to we learned scrappy, and so we still do it scrappy. <laughs> like, I was thinking the other day, I was thinking, you know, materials went crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, here's what we were saying. One of our projects, I was like, how much does that wall go cost me to frame? They're like, it's going to cost this. By the time we put sheet rock, we're going to insulate it. We've got to run conduit in. I was like, how much is blocked these days? See so we're going we're gonna to block the inside walls. Because the block masons are sitting around and the materials are cheaper. And another example, I was checking sheet rock. And this is probably not so because it's fluid. But for a couple of weeks ago, half inch sheet rock was $17 a sheet in Opelika, 12 footers. Five eight fire stop was ten ninety eight. 
pay seven bucks a sheet because the residential guys aren't using no five right. fire stop. So it's just us being flexible because um, right. we do our own work. We can pivot, 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 and make stuff work. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we mentioned this before as well. We threw around the word catalytic developer. Right. I love that word too. Right. <laughs> so you've been you've been described as a catalytic developer. What does that really mean to you? And and how do you utilize that? Kind of looking forward with uh, some of your clients, you know, outside of Opelika. Well, one thing, one way we describe it, and I'll kind of take a little rabbit trail if you'll give me a little bit of freedom, is is this idea. So who do we look for in a city to help us do what we need to do? We look for a person of peace. There's something about a person of peace that has tremendous um, gifts that helps us make this work. Because we go into every city and don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. You still got to get stuff done. Now, we don't work for cities. We work for developers. I've never worked for a city. Only guys like us who want to build and make things. But we're looking for one of five eyes. And this is something I came up with. Um, and, and here's the eyes. And then we can talk about them a little bit if you think they're interesting. But I'm always asking myself, which eye do they have? So are they, do they, are they, do they have the eye of investment, which is somebody who has properly aligned and patient capital that can be used for projects? Or are they gifted in ideas? They're unique and innovative ideas that improve and help us grow things. Do they have the eye of implication, which means they have a great love and desire and a commitment to a place? You come to Opelika, me and Ash are implicated here. Do they have influence, which is the ability to rally and excite people around a cause? Mm -hmm. Or do they have the last one, which is intercession? Are they willing to stand up for a place or a project on behalf of the greater good? And mm -hmm. I need one of all of those on the team. So I can't build an effective team without all the eyes, in my opinion. Wow. So, so I think catalytic in, um, developers understand this. And my job is to get those together and get them excited. Because one thing about it, not a lot, you can't, can't have a lot of good stuff happen without excitement. You can't get pregnant without excitement. <laughs> right. And so I want people to get involved in their place, get excited about what they're doing and have a vision for the future that's a preferred vision. It's so exciting. They go, we must do this. Once I got that, they're all worked up, they're excited. Then realizing that that a little bit of momentum goes a long way. And so that's what we work hard to do. Because one thing I realize is towns are like wheelbarrows. Somebody's got to push them. They don't push themselves. They got two handles on them. So mm -hmm. they have to get who's going to push this thing. And that it's been a lot of work to do that. Because most places we start, when I ask them, will it grow? They say it's impossible. My first job is to get it to possible. And then if I do a good job at that, it goes probable. And so what happens is I need one success, right? right. I mean, sometimes a success will be the first best coffee shop that's ever been there that's flourishing as cool as could be. Maybe it's a salon where the most wealthy ladies in the neighborhood come there and get their hair done. And it's a beautiful place. You see people going in and out all the time. Maybe it's a small restaurant. It could be something as small as a taco shop or something as mm -hmm. easy as a popsicle shop, or it could be a full-blown restaurant that has, you know, full service. So once I can get the flywheel spinning a little bit, then it's just yeah. kick the flywheel, push it, push it, push it. Mm -hmm. So a catalytic developer, I think, is is a, 
is a visionary. Like I told you, they probably feel like I do a lot of times, like a mosquito in a nudist colony. Everything looks like opportunity. Yeah. So that's a catalytic developer to me. Gotcha. I hope that described it. No, that's perfect. I want to come back to these these five eyes real quick. So you you try to find somebody within the community that has all five of these items, or not all five. You're trying to find Different five people. people. Yeah, right. At least right. Five Most people. of the time, yeah. it's, and, and and I've never been to a community that I didn't find all five. And everybody tells me all oh, the money's not here. The money's always there. Mm-hmm. Tell me the ideas are not. In fact, everything it's always there. We never bring it. It's always there. We just go and discover it. Right. Because we're digging and looking for gold. We're not looking for dirt. They say, there's so much dirt. We're like, we're not looking for dirt. We're looking for gold. Keep moving the dirt. Right. So but but you, it's always there. How do you find these people? How do you, are they at gatherings or you just look at, um, I don't know. I love I, people. So I start talking yeah, to them. So you here, just start here, talking. Here's, here's, I can give you the, if I had to, if you only could say, John, give me one tool to find people. That's it. Just one. You don't get 10, you get one. So, I mean, I got to give you one tool, probably going to be like a Leatherman so you can do multiple things with it, right? But here's the question. Here's what I'm trying to do. Who do you know that I should know? That question is taking me everywhere. Mm -hmm. Man, I want to build a great barbecue place. Who do you know I should know? My uncle, he got a barbecue place up the road. You ought to see this thing's three counties over, but it's killing it. Or, Or I'm just telling you, the answers are always... You know, I call myself an (laughs) asshole. You just got to keep asking, man. Oh, if I could make a quote, just bored of what (laughs) what has come up during this this podcast, I would maybe I'll I'll try to weave that into the blog post here. But (laughs) yes, yeah, just ask, huh? That's just just that. And and I have ten questions I ask every person I meet, really, that I'm trying to learn from and grow. Mm-hmm. And that one of those questions is that great question. Who do you know that I should know? And another one that I, I really love is um, to ask them, how has failure shaped your life? Mm-hmm. And so the quality of your answers is related to the quality of your questions. And, and one thing we've done is curated really good questions. Yeah, it sounds like it. You guys have been real, real successful doing what you're doing with with the focus and the drive and the, the willingness to ask those questions, I, I think that's all been, you know, rolled up. And we learned along the way. I mean, we right. didn't have all this together in the beginning. It just kind of came slowly by slowly. I mean, we're 25 years overnight success. If you had seen us 10 years ago, you said, these guys are duds. They aren't, they aren't good at what they're doing. No, no, no. I promise we're going to get better. Hang tight. I mean, yeah. I asked one of my mentors who I, is on my podcast, and I love him, Jess Carell. He runs um, banks in, in Kentucky and, and an insurance company and just a just an awesome, awesome man. And he uh, he told me, he said, um, he said, this is the thing. When do you think, John's the most impactful season of your life? And I said, I don't know. He said, your your 60s. You know what's number two? Your 70s. Know what's number three? Your 80s. Know what's number four? Your 50s. And so he turned my world upside down that I'm just dipping my toe into into the season of my greatest impact and influence. I said, well, why? That really doesn't make as much sense to me now that you said it. And he said, well, because you have 
competency. You have connections. Wisdom, right? right. That goes into competency. But, That's right. Yeah. You, 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 have, uh, you have oftentimes more cash mm-hmm. because you've a little further on. And, and, um, and you also have, have, you know, all the thing about it we miss is that it's exponential. One of my mentors told me this as well the other day. I was saying, I'm not going to live long enough to do all the stuff I want to do. <laughs> the rate I'm going, he said, no, no, no. you're going to get better. He said, in 10 years, you'll be able to do it with one phone call or in one hour what it took you a month or a year to do before. And that has to be true because that's always the case, already the case now. What I'm doing now, I never could have done before. That's, man, you've got some really great mentors. I got the mother. I'm telling you, I'm so blessed. Well, my oldest mentor has, my longest mentor has been with me 26 years. Wow. And we still meet weekly. And then I've got one that's about 20 years and two more that's in the eight to 10 year range. But um, I'm a good person to mentor. I yeah. am because I know how to, I mean, if you want to be mentored, you ought to be good at a blessing to the people who mentor you. Right. Right. And what does a good person to mentor look like? Somebody that's willing to learn somebody that's willing to help. <laughs> you, it, willing to put all, your things take, up take, practice, take. Right. appreciate the, the wisdom you give them mm-hmm. honors you and their legacy. So it's, you can be that. I mean, I, I've, I've been blessed, blessed to do this thing. And I really am. I mean, I, I'm, I just can't lose for winning, hardly. I mean, because I've got good people who are trying to help me and I listen to them. They're smarter than I am. Well, it, it's easy to follow somebody, easier to follow somebody that has a, a focus and a vision uh, than somebody that's, that's scattered. So I think uh, the vision that you guys have, have kind of put in place is, has really built, you know, that, that confidence in your team. Um, I would imagine. I, I've We've got a great team. Both of my team, the guys on my team, I met, I, I met one of them through mentoring him. I mentored him over 14 years now and the other one about eight years. So, I mean, it, it's an incredible way to transfer wisdom. It really yep. is. It's powerful. I'm curious how that first your 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 longest mentor span here. How'd you how'd you meet your first mentor? Was that? It's interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. I met him because of the guy that was mentoring me before him. It was kind of the guy mentoring him, and he went out <laughs> to play basketball one day at 52 years old and dropped dead before he hit the basketball court. And so oh, man. the man that was mentoring him just said, "Hey, I've I've watched you grow and all. I'm going to step in and." I was kind of like your granddad, your granddaddy. Now I'm going to be like your daddy. And so he took me over. He had been speaking into my life, but he was speaking mm-hmm. into my mentor's life. And when my mentor died, he stepped in there. He's 82 oh, wow. years old today. And he, he's wise and on fire as can be. Wow. Wow. So let's transition there to, you know, when, when you bring on a mentor, they can often help you navigate some common roadblocks and and you know one of the most common roadblocks i hear from people is 
in doing this type of development or, or development in general is, is lack of capital. And you've just mentioned that you started out with uh, practically nothing. So I know you, you don't necessarily agree with that uh, wholeheartedly, maybe as a common, common roadblock. No, I think it's a tremendous blessing. Yeah. Start out with nothing is a tremendous blessing. Because it gets you to get your skills going. When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. I mean, so I put everything on the line. We didn't have anything. It's easy. <laughs> but but here's the thing is it capitals all around us, but you have to be able to see it. And I couldn't see it. I had I, you had to have eyes to see. And so what we began to do when we didn't have any money, and I learned it pretty quick, is look for problems that someone else was paying for. Like when I go buy a house still today and there's no power meter in it and the weeds are growing up, I'm like, oh baby. <laughs> you're, you're calling my name because somebody ain't got power on that thing. They're paying, they're paying the property tax. It ain't generating any income. And I'm like, I call them and say, Hey, my name's John. I'd love to help solve your problem. Mm-hmm. What would you take for a house? And normally I, I don't ever really dicker with people on price. I don't like that. It's, yeah. it's kind of icky to me. We use a formula that we've created of how to, how to work on what is it going to cost and what kind of return. And our return, what we want as a minimum return on a cash on cash return is about 35%. Mm-hmm. And we've achieved that for infinite amount of years. It's just been, but what we do is we go about these things and, and we say, I tell you what, how about you lease with purchase option me this property? And, and I'm going to take time and fix it up and get it rented. And when I do, I'm going to take you out from it financing. And so probably 60% of our portfolio has been um, in the beginning owner financed or lease with purchase option. And then all we got to come up with some renovation money. And a lot of times we'll stage it and get it there. So I had the same $150,000 I've turned over in renovations for years and years and years. You just have that stockpile there just, uh, just for renovations. That's that, impressive. Because I could put 50 in one, 70 in another, 100, and it just boop, 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 boop. And, um, and, you know, it's it's just real easy. It makes a lot of sense. It's simple. And so that lease with purchase option, when you're solving someone else's problem, and I tell them, they say, well, I'm not taking less than this. I say, okay, you get price, I get terms. Like my favorite one I ever bought, this amazing building on the corner that we still have. I owner finance, no money down, no payments for the first year, $200 a month the second year, $300 the third, $400 the fourth. And every consecutive year till seven, and they took all of my payments off the purchase price. The guy he, he tried to he wouldn't he wouldn't sell it to me for years. I said, "Sir, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to have to get a restraining order on me or sell this property." He finally folded like a lawn chair. <laughs> what was it? It's a the building. It's yeah. a, it's on the corner. It's a two story building. Um, two-story. We call it yeah, and this beautiful brick building, but it had a hole in the roof size of a Cadillac. It was I mean. It was messed up. It was one of my best purchases ever. I love that thing. And so uh, I've thought a lot of stuff that way. Focus, right? And be, and be willing to ask. And ask right. something that aligns. I figure what does the other person want too? Right. Like that guy didn't need the money right then. What he wanted me to do is fix the building. Because it was right next door to his business. And it looked ugly. I said Believe me, the only reason I ain't giving you money is because I'm putting it in the building, which you you got a note on. I mean, you, you're the one that owns it if I don't fix it. So let's get aligned here. Alignment is powerful. If you figure I'm more interested in what they want than what I want, I can get what I want if I help figure out what they want. Mm-hmm. It's that easy, right? 
I mean, this stuff's real simple. You, yeah. you got, and this is hope for idiots. I mean, I think we're poster children for idiots. If, if you're dumb, this is hope you can make a lot of darn money doing stuff. I don't, I don't think you're dumb at all. You've, you've got, there's so much that I've, you know, just picking up from talking to you right now. I, I, well, but I was so dumb, but I'm not as dumb anymore. Right. I mean, you get better over time. I mean, some guys have 20 years experience and some guys have one year experience 20 times. Right. And, and I just learned a little bit along the way, just learned a little bit along the way, got a little better, got a little better. We're still are. I'm still trying to get better. Yeah. Well, speaking on that, you, you mentioned you, you talk about learning and, and mm. biggest failures and that kind of thing. Mm. What, what has been one of your biggest lessons learned in in development i give it to you this is cost me about a million two or three this one it's it hurt yeah. oh it stung <laughs> so here's what we did the first restaurant we started downtown opalaki is awesome irish pub and it was very successful i set up with the owners i said tell you what the guy this guys are gonna run it we own the building they did the business i said tell you what they didn't believe in it. I said, I'll do a percentage-based lease with a base rent of $2,500. Now, I spent a million bucks on this building. Jeez. Base rent of $2,500. But then I hooked it to a percentage of gross. And I said, if you succeed, we'll succeed together. And if you fail, we'll fail together. Well, the thing took off. They thought it'd do $700,000 a year. The first year, it did like $1.3. Second year, did $1.9. Third year, did $2.3. And sold for $800,000 business only with me keeping the real estate. Now, here's where the mistake comes in. Original operators were awesome. They sold it to a guy who me and my wife had known. He had been, he had run Longhorns for 12 years and run a mm -hmm. uh, Red Lobster for like, I think maybe another 18 years. So he's 30 years total in the restaurant business. I think this guy knows what he's doing, right? Well, here's the thing. He knew what he was doing with that Darden system they had over there. Mm -hmm. He came to run this thing 24 months. He had crashed it, crashed his life and crashed the dang business. And there's a big difference in someone who can build 747s and someone who can fly. Them. And I don't fall for the people who could fly them, but not build them anymore. Wow. So it was just it. That was, that was it. He, the system didn't come with him. And if yeah. there's different kinds of people in businesses and business takes on the character and the giftings of the owner. You can't outrun it. Mm -hmm. So if a, if a fine dining guy tells you, we're going to build the best. I, I did miss another mistake of mine. Took a fine dining guy and we built a hot dog place. Ended up having $12 hot dog. I mean, you just got to, whatever they tell you, you watch their feet, not their mouth. <laughs> right. Right. Because if the feet don't line up with the mouth, you got problems. That's what happened. Cost a bunch of money. <laughs> Woo. Lots of payments. Jeez. Well, I can do this all day. I got many <laughs> failures. <laughs> but you've learned. You've learned. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's right. I'm not that smart, but I do learn. <laughs> hey, it's about incrementally building, right? That's all of us, right? We're a work in progress. I ought to wrap that yellow paper around that says under construction. <laughs> right. Well, Looking forward, let's say we look at Wikipedia, Google, whatnot. We check out you, John, or, or your hmm. your company, Redemptification. Said hundred years in the future. What would it say about uh, 
kind of your legacy and your company's legacy? I mean, I hope it says that, that I fulfilled my purpose, which is to leave a legacy on the hearts of men and not sticks and bricks. And said he changed people's lives more than he built stuff. And wow. if I do that, that's going to be big. I'd like to change people's children's children's children. And I, I, I really got, I have, I can tell you my, what, what my life, if you want to know what makes everything I do work, I know there's four things I'm built for. If I put it in everything I do, I'm going to be successful. That's to help people grow personally and for me grow personally. Help them love God passionately and me love God passionately. Help them do good work purposefully and me do good work purposefully. And then help them live intentionally. And I live intentionally. If I do that, I'm knocking it out of the park. Again, I can't lose for winning. It looks like it's working right now. <laughs> and you're well on your way. It's incredible. Awesome. Well. I, I really appreciate all your time, John. I, I want to give you a little time to kind of tell us or tell the listeners where they might be able to find out more about what you're doing, your mission, your passion, the podcast, everything. And, um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Well, if you want to find our, our company is marshcollective.com. And that's, you're going to see the website and say, well, I can tell they do a lot, but I can't tell exactly what they do. Well, that's purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> we we we're a odd people things. so just click on the thing and then set up some kind of we got a, a free 30 minute consult we can hear what you're doing and see if there's ways we can add value to you um my podcast is redemptification r-e-d-e-m-p-t-i-f-i-c-a-t-i-o-n redemptification.com and then of course if you want to follow me on social media um but the main way that I add value to the world right now is through the podcast and, and being with some of the best people in the industry doing amazing things. And uh, if you're wondering if what we're doing is exciting, uh, come see Opelika. I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm going to have to visit. Uh, any last words of advice before we take off here? Yeah. Um, I think if I had to, you know, if I had to encourage you, it's, it's two things. It's more important who you're with than what you're doing. And it's more important what you are becoming than what you're achieving. 